You're listening to the Speech Uncensored podcast. Join us for weekly discussions diving into all the particulars of communication, voice, swallow, and cognition with tangible applications to the world of medical speech and language pathology. Resources and the discussion guide are located in the show notes on speechuncensored.com. This week's episode is a little flipped flopped as my guest, Melissa Curley, is running the interview and asking me questions about supervising students. This episode is all kinds of Freaky Friday action because Melissa was once upon a time my graduate student intern and I was her supervisor. Now, Melissa is ready to take on her first student and has some questions. I don't claim to be an expert on the topic of supervision, but I am a big proponent of supervising, and I think it's an important feature of our practice that we should engage in as an opportunity to support the next generation of clinicians, and also as a way to keep our own practice current and accurate, in other words. You know, we always need to be learning and growing and improving. And I feel like when you have a student, like that can help you achieve that. That can be like an impetus and a motivation for it. So anyway, my name is Leanne Porter. I am usually your host, but today I'll be your guest. And I hope you're ready to get your nourish and flourish on. Hello, and welcome to the Speech Uncensored podcast. I am not your typical host. My name is Melissa Curley, and I'm taking over today's podcast. We're going to be doing things a little different because I wanted to interview Leanne on the topic we'll be discussing today, which is graduate students in their clinical practicum. I am taking on my first student currently, and so I wanted to reach out to my resources to see how to best support that person. Leanne happened to be my clinical practicum supervisor, so she was clearly a great choice to speak with, and I realized that I'm sure other people have these kinds of questions, so I wanted to maybe take over the podcast and interview her myself. So to introduce myself, I am a speech-language pathologist in the outpatient setting. I live in Colorado, and I've been practicing since 2017. I've been in skilled nursing facilities, and I um, switched over to the outpatient setting, I think, about two years ago, and I absolutely love that. Leanne, if you would please introduce yourself. I would love to, Melissa. What a treat. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it just warms my heart to hear that you love the outpatient setting, since that's where we worked together, was in when I was working outpatient. So I like, mm-hmm. I'm like so happy. I'm like, yay, outpatient for the win. <laughs> so I'm Leanne Porter. I'm a speech and language pathologist. Um, I'm in a period of transition right now. It's been like multiple months of transition where I was working primarily in outpatient, but now I'm just PRNing on inpatient rehab. And I'm kind of still figuring out like what's next. I'm taking a long roundabout way to get there. And I'm totally okay with that and not okay with that. All the things. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to feel all the feelings, but also I'm really impressed that you're recognizing what you need and, you know, taking the next steps, taking your time to to figure out what's going to be right and, you know, just taking those next steps. I feel excessively fortunate that I'm able to take that time because I know that that's not um, something that's available to everybody. So I don't like to really talk about it because of that, because I don't want to like throat in people's faces like I, I could just take this time and figure out me mm-hmm. it's not it's not doable for everybody and so I recognize that so I feel, actually I feel kind of guilty about that too uh, but in the meantime to help cover that guilt um, I've been doing a lot of work on the podcast and like growing it and 
figuring out how to provide more services to people so that they can feel more successful and more connected in their practice. So I've been putting a lot of energy into that and so I'm excited. Nice. It's perfect segue because in the vein of helping people to be more successful, it's just recently that I had decided, you know, I think it's time for me to take on a student. I had been had a couple people observe here and there, but never had a, a full-time student. So as I was thinking about um, this endeavor, I had been in contact with you and you were you know, so supportive. Yeah, there's just so many questions and ways to go about it. So I have a few questions for you. Okay. All right. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was, what are some of the things that you wish your clinical supervisor had told you when first getting into your career? Well, they they told me a lot. They were great supervisors. I had three of them actually over two placements. One of them was actually like a bilingual diagnostician for the school Mm -hmm. setting. And so she spoke French Creole. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was balling. She was great. She was really, really good at her job. So I was able to work with her a little bit. And also my externship was in the school setting with her a few days a week as well. Mm-hmm. And then my other externship setting was acute care, the neuro unit for like a really large hospital. There were like three floors of neuro. So like the neuro mm-hmm. ICU and the different step down levels. Um, so that was, that was quite the introduction. That's a pretty cool variety. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I feel really fortunate. My university made it a requirement that no matter what our interests were, we had externships with both pediatrics and adults. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really helpful because so many people transition between the two settings. Like we might say, oh, I want medical. I want medical. But sometimes there comes a time where like you just need a job and you need to get through your CF. So like mm-hmm. you just do what you need to do to do that. You might work with peds for a while. Yeah. And there's something to be said about like you think you know what you want. <laughs> I, I thought I was all voice. I That was my career. That was from undergrad through grad school. That is all I thought that I was going to do. And then I started doing it and realized, wow, this is not for me. This is not what I anticipated. And it just didn't call to me the way that other elements of the field did. So Mm -hmm. if I had only been able to do strictly voice opportunities, it would be a disservice in my ability to be successful with switching over to a different and and being exposed to the the different um, areas that we work with. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember that you know, talking with you when you were a student about what your interests were and you were like, voice, I love it. (laughs) And then like later, like years later, we're talking and you're like, you know what? I just don't know that strictly voice is like the way for me. And I almost fell out. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I thought I was so convinced that this was what I was doing. There was no question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you had a variety of experiences. Mm -hmm. So what do you feel like were some gems that they kind of gave you in terms of Mm. starting your career? Okay, so they did a great job. They told me lots of stuff. But looking back, some things that I think I needed to hear that maybe they didn't know I needed to hear Mm. uh, was to chill the the beep out. (laughs) (laughs) I needed to chill out like a lot. Like I get a little tightly wound up about things. (laughs) Wait, so you're an SLP. Guilty as charged. <laughs> so that was one. I, I needed to know about networking and building a community where I would feel like I fit in and that I was supported. Mm. I didn't know I needed that. I didn't know how to do it. So yeah, 
Also, they could have told me that this career is a roller coaster and I needed to buckle up mm-hmm. and uh, just throw your arms up and enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having some conversations with you early in my career of like, does it ever just do the waves of stress and like overwhelming ever go away? And I remember you actually saying that to me of like, ah, you get better at it and then another wave will hit, you know, so you just have to, you have to enjoy that ride. Yeah. And just know, like anticipate, yes, it will get better and then it will get challenging again. Yeah. And that's what I also hear other people talk about what they love about the job. Like it's always a challenge. They're, they're always learning. They're always growing. And at, at some point, like I need a break from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't ever want to stay complacent, but sometimes I need a rest from that roller coaster. Like I just, I need to get off of it every now and then. And I think that's like what I did. And I think that's what sometimes people do when they leave the field. Mm-hmm. which I don't plan on doing. <laughs> you guys are stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, see like, things like your time, like honoring your own time, taking your vacations, mm-hmm. having a separation of from work and personal life, I think are so important. It can be yeah. really easy within our field. I think there's this expectation. I hear these SLPs that are like, oh, my free time, I just read research and I just... <laughs> you know, do all this stuff. And I'm like, I need to shut down. I I need to have my own separate time. So I hear you on that. I think you're so right. Like there's got to be that, that separation. Cause when I'm at work, I'm at work, I'm all there. I take every moment that I'm there to plan for the next patient, to read research, to do things like that. So when I'm at home, I'm at home, yeah. I'm done working. <laughs> now, of course, I'm still a nerd. So I'm like, I get on Instagram and like an entire Instagram account is all SLP, all this, all, all day. Mm -hmm. So like, I still get information in my off time about it, but I try to build that like separation there. Yeah. Something else that I wanted them to tell me or needed to hear was that self-care is critical for a field and a profession that pours itself into helping others Mm -hmm. because you have to like refill that cup. So something else I needed to hear. And I felt like I was pretty good at this, but maybe I wasn't. Is like, don't take another bleep um, <laughs> from anyone, like patients or admin. Mm-hmm. And this one's a really tough line to walk because, you know, our patients are not in the best place. Like they've gone through some stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not in their best form. And uh, when it comes to admin, it's kind of like, oh, uh, well, you don't want to burn bridges. How do you know when to stand up for yourself? with leadership. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think as a new clinician, it's intimidating. You know, I have had, when I was in my clinical fellowship, I had a more experienced SLP tell me like, you need to develop your clinical skills instead of ordering so many MBSs. And so when somebody who's in the field is telling you this, you know, who's had more experience and to be able to advocate and, and, um, and I think there's a lot of good resources out now about the scripts that you can kind of write and develop of how to uh, say to them, well, actually the research is showing different things and like how to support your uh, case. Mm -hmm. Those things are out there right now, which is really nice, but it is so intimidating as a new clinician to assert what you know when you're not fully sure of everything, confident of everything that you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those tools are super helpful. We talk about making scripts for our patients a lot. But we need our own. Mm -hmm. And so when SLPs can share those scripts with each other, 
that goes a long way into like helping us mm-hmm. be those advocates that we're told we have to be for ourselves, for our profession and not just our patients. Yeah. I actually remember you telling me, um, encouraging me to create scripts for things like, you know, how are you going to, if there's a, a patient who is argumentative or uh, doesn't understand why they're in to speech therapy, then what you plan to say, because in that moment it can be emotional or, or stressful. And then we don't tend to have the most fluent or eloquent speech in that time. So thinking ahead of those situations and how I want to phrase these things kind of can give me the tools to be a bit more confident in that moment. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you feel like your clinical supervisors, uh, you wish they had said to you? I made a note of one more thing, and I think this is just maybe just really personal to me. I don't know if this would help anybody else, but that it's going to take a long time to feel even somewhat proficient Mm -hmm. because I really struggled with that. Like, am I even doing this right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a really long time? And it really ate away at my confidence and at my job satisfaction because I'm like, if I'm not doing this right, I shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. And there's so many areas of our field that we are supposed to be the professional at, and it's it's kind of impossible to be truly proficient in all of the areas that we practice. And that feels pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, in terms of you being a clinical supervisor, what are some of the resources that you identified that have been helpful in developing your skills as a supervisor? I feel like I should have more to say on this area because I am like team resource, like collect all the things, have a bank. I think I've been just a little willy nilly here. So like my top two has been asking for feedback from students Mm -hmm. and like not at the end of their time there, but like right there in the trenches with them be like doing the check-ins. Like, how are you doing right now? How are you feeling? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you need any more support than what I'm providing? Um, what could I be doing that I'm not doing that you would need to be successful in this endeavor? Mm -hmm. So just getting that direct feedback from students has helped me be able to tailor my supervision to their needs because everybody learns a little different. You know, I've had like seven students and they've all been like totally different, totally different people, totally different skill sets, totally different interests. Mm -hmm just like the patients that we work with, we need to adapt our tools and adapt ourselves to meet their needs so that they can be successful. And I don't know that until they tell me yeah. what they need Yeah, if I'm not providing it. I think one thing that I've been trying with my student is I try to explain to her the rationale of why I'm approaching something. Like I will mm-hmm. um, maybe say to her, like in the moment, if we're in a, in a session and you ask a question, I may say to you, well, what do you think? before I answer you. And it's not to put you on the spot, but I want to see uh, what your clinical processing is, what your thinking is, like what you've ruled out, what you think might be an option before I tell you. So that way I can just see your critical thinking. Um, But I want to like give that whole phrase so they don't just think I'm throwing them out there, you know, and not supporting them. Yeah. I I warn them too, that like, I'm not testing them, Mm -hmm. but I will ask direct questions and it's okay that they don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. I'm like, cause I need to know where to start. If you don't know about something, I'll start at the beginning. If you're familiar with it, I don't need to waste my breath or our time. So like, I'm going to ask you direct questions. Please don't feel threatened (laughs) by that essentially. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've tried to say like, please, be, you can be critical with me. Like, don't feel like you need to coddle my feelings if your needs aren't being met. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I, I totally give them this feel about being an advocate. Like you need to start advocating for yourself right now in this moment. So if I am not providing a resource or like assistance that you need, I'm not going to know if you don't tell mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a skill that will benefit you when you have a boss that you need to approach. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the other resource is chatting with other supervisors. Mm-hmm. Just hearing stories, experiences that they've had, um, if they've had to be creative with a student who may not have been doing well in that environment, wasn't like meeting their expectations, how they addressed it. So I learn a lot by talking with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's smart. Do you find, do you end up preparing any resources ahead of time for your student? I've always wanted to. I always like, because I'm a very visual person. So if I had like a pack like a, like an outline or a chart and like pieces of information to like give them, like that would be so great. But like, I would be the only one like making it. And then like during the last few years of my job, things were always changing and in flux. And so like, it would be as soon as I would make something, it would be null and void. So the few things that I would ask for ahead of time would be a Uh, one-to-one meeting where we went over like some of those housekeeping things like where to park, what our uniform is, Mm -hmm. uh, here is our refrigerator and microwave, here is the cafeteria. Like sometimes people just do those on the first day, but when they start, like they're, I don't know, they're not here for the tour. Like they're here to get hours Mm -hmm. and to like get practice at this job. So I schedule time for that before their semester starts. And then we communicate via email so that I give them the list. And sometimes I give them the list when they come and see me about what assessments I use Mm -hmm. the most Mm -hmm. so that they can go back to their university and check them out from their like library and get familiar with them. And if they're like online tools, they can go find them online and practice them. Because I do, I tell them, I expect you to be very familiar with these assessments before you come in. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be like an ace at them but you need to know how to give them. (laughs) Do you ever have like, you need to be familiar with all these and I'm expecting that one or two or however many you will be implementing within our first week. Do you ever do anything like that? Not quite like on that timeline, but because, you know, I worked an outpatient, I would, I would know my schedule for the next two, three, sometimes four weeks out. Mm -hmm. So if I saw an eval on there, I would be like, this person's coming up soon. It looks like we might be doing this type of assessment with them. So Out of the gate, though, I don't like throw them into an assessment. I'm like, you know, there's always that observation period at the very beginning. I give them a day, two, three, and then I start transitioning them into things uh, to observe first before Mm -hmm. having them do the things. Yeah. And I think in like outpatient setting in particular, it can be challenging because you can see just about everything under the sun. I know that I've, I was in some clinical rotations in graduate school where, say, it was an ENT office or it was um, an ALS clinic, and those supervisors provided me with some research ahead of time and, like, you know, what their oral motor exam might look like, things like that. And I was so grateful to have something, some sort of initial guidance. But it is such a challenge with outpatient because there's just so many different things that are out there. I know. It's like, how do you tell someone, I'm, I'm going to need you to know all the things, things you didn't even know existed are under our jurisdiction and outpatient. Mm-hmm. So I just focus on the assessments um, because the treatment can come and I can, I can work with them on that, like one-on-one during the time together. So yeah. Yeah. And there's some things that we might use with a lot of patients, but in the focus of having individualized treatments, 
each person might need something a little bit different. So once we mm -hmm. see that person and their personality and what they're wanting to work on, that's going to guide what we're doing in treatment anyways. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have an outline or anything of how you want a student to progress across their practicum? It's like, it's an outline in my head. Uh -huh. <laughs> so of course we start with like observe, just see what the day looks like and how I handle things and how I transition between patients and just what a day or a couple days looks like. And then we talk about their comfort level and the type of uh, treatments and patients that they can start working with. Mm -hmm. So let me be more specific and lay some more groundwork is that, you know, I, when I worked an outpatient, I was scheduled 45 minute treatments and an hour evals. And so I might see up to nine patients a day. Mm -hmm. So we would look at the schedule and say, okay, well, we know this person and this person are both this type of treatment, like maybe aphasia. And they had taken an aphasia class. Maybe they'd worked with some in the school clinic. And so they're like, I'm comfortable with that. And I'm like, yes, these are good people for you to start taking over. Here's what I'm working with them on. And we can like transition that. As they get comfortable with that, then they take over more treatments, more treatments. Because of outpatient and just bringing people up to speed, and sometimes they're at their first externship and not their last externship, mm -hmm. I don't give them all the patients because I don't have the time to train them in, in like all the things they need to know for voice, mm -hmm. for example. Like that's just asking too much of everybody involved. Yeah. So they might, they might get to the point where they're seeing all my language, all my speech, all my swallowing and all my cognition patients, but I'm still treating voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as they take over treatments, then I slowly have them start increasing their documentation. And that's also like titrated up too. So they start off with just plugging in like data. Mm -hmm. And then I build that out to where they're filling out all the documentation, like all the little things. Mm -hmm. And then Everything is just a slow titration up where they start with a little bit and then it, it's increased, increased, increased over time. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with assessments. It starts off with like observing an assessment and seeing how it rolls. And then I would have them maybe give the assessment during an evaluation. And then the next time they might give the assessment, score it and begin thinking about like what goals they'll target mm -hmm. based off of everything. Then I might have them incorporate the interview part of the assessment, then get to the documentation of the assessment. Mm -hmm. So it's not an all at once thing. Yeah. I found too that with my current student, as she's taken over more and more of say an evaluation, then every once in a while, okay, I'm going to do this one. So she can kind of get a refresher of like, oh, I see the difference between that now. And, oh, I like that way better. Or, you know, okay, now I see how you're trying to document at the same time, like during the evaluation and how much time that ultimately saves. Um, mm -hmm. So those little kind of tweaks. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because my overall goal with every student I have, even if they're first or second semester for their externships, is that by the end of it, they could do this job without me there. Like, that's my goal. How close we get to that varies. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that's what I tell them from the very beginning. I'm like, this is our goal. This is what we're working for. So if we're moving too fast or too slow to get to that goal, again, this is your opportunity to advocate for what you need. Mm -hmm. So do you find if that, if the person like outpatient setting, if they were like, I am all peds all the way, how does something like that influence if this is not their interest? Are you still trying to get to that end goal regardless or what influence does that have? That's good. I'm not sure I've had anybody who was like, Ooh, if I'm thinking correctly, 
totes peeves but that would that would be like such a killer for me because I would take that thinking like that they're just not going to be invested in this experience right and so I would be like I don't I don't want to like completely invest in you if you're not going to take this 100% seriously so that would I could see like you know approaching it from the vein of okay that's fine that you don't want to work with adults but you still need to learn how to document live and be proficient with documentation you will be documenting about different things, but the process of, of documenting and getting your paperwork done is still going to be a skill set that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So would you therefore not have them potentially develop as much treatment or, you know? Mm, no, my expectations would not change. Okay. Because when I was in grad school and, you know, I had those two like pediatric and adult placements, mm-hmm. I knew then I was, I preferred working with adults. But I did not like shortchange that with my pediatric experience. Like I showed up and I put the work in because they were putting the work in to train me. Like I was going to learn and I was going to excel at it as best as I could. Yeah. Because then it's just a waste of opportunity. Like because they're paying tuition to come to that learning experience. So like it's an investment that they're making that I was making when I was a student. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn everything I could. Yeah. And it's a disservice, I think, if you may like peds to begin with, and then you may choose nine years down the road to make a change into adults. Mm-hmm. And so, or, you know, just to have that flexibility, uh, we are expected with our certificate of clinical competence to be proficient across the age range. So it would be a disservice to not be able to be competent in in this area of working with adults. Yeah, especially at the very beginning. Well, like you said in your example, like you thought you were 100% voice and then over time and experience, you realize that wasn't going to be the end all be all for you. So like, just because we feel a certain way at one point doesn't mean we'll always feel that way. Right. So anything else in terms of progressing students across their practicum? I also look for those like extra opportunities. So the things that don't deal with treatment and documentation, but they deal with communication with other disciplines, like communicating with OT, PT, and with doctors. So if they need to make a call or just walk across the gym and go talk to that OT that we both share a patient on to see how they're doing, like I encourage them to do that and to start learning how to talk to other people, like in the care of a patient. Yeah. Plus that helps them to see, you know, ways that they may co-treat or challenges that a person, say, with aphasia may have with, say, PT, and then how you can cue these other modalities, these other clinicians of how to support this patient or incorporate some of the things they're working on in speech into their other treatments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my next question, how candid are you with your students, either with their skills or even how confident you feel in certain areas? Do you like share your frustrations with the field uh, you know, or do you just try to let them figure out what is, you know, frustrating for them or like, you know, not kind of um, taint their view of the field? Does that make sense? Right. Yes, it does. <laughs> I think it's all in the delivery because if people held information from me that would be useful to me, I would take offense at that. Yeah. So I'm very candid with students. I always try to deliver it in a caring, thoughtful way and not a way that's going to make them feel put down or anything because we're all here to learn. So like if I'm offering suggestions, like, you know, we've learned about ways through supervisor trainings and CEUs about how to deliver information 
compassionately, Mm -hmm. like constructively, like where there will actually be growth from it and not just like the eroding of their soul. (laughs) So, you know, and they're here to learn where they can improve on, but they also need to hear about what they're doing well and and what's working and where you've seen growth. Like those need to have a light shown on them just as much as anything else. And then I'm very honest about my ability level. Like, I don't hold back. I don't think I'm something special. Like, I'm just an SLP who's figuring this thing out right alongside of them. I've been doing it a bit longer. So I've learned some things Uh (laughs) that I'm happy to share with them. But like, every time I've had a student, I've also been learning and implementing something new to me Mm -hmm. and trying things out for the first time. I also ask for them to bring in something new that they've learned about in their classes that's new to me and teach me something. Mm-hmm. Because I, I want to make that very known to them that you're always learning and you shouldn't stop that part. So Yeah, I think that's one of the most valuable things that students can learn is that just because you get your C's, oh, you are not done learning. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is a, a lifetime of, I mean, I, I honestly think that probably there's a lifetime of uncertainty. You're going to feel more mm-hmm. confident and confident in certain areas, but there's always going to be somebody who walks in the door that you're like, oh man, I'm not exactly sure. And so teaching them like that, that's okay, that that's how it's going to be. And how, like, these are the resources I use to try to get that information and to, mm-hmm. to learn and grow, I think are mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. I used to think, you know, somebody walks in the door and I'm like, oh, wow, that's above my pay grade. I wouldn't know exactly where to start or how to work on that. There must be another SLP out there I can refer this person to. Mm -hmm. And I started talking with other outpatient SLPs in my community. And one of them who, like, I highly respect, like a veteran of the field, I would like low-key try to be like, so do you want me to send this patient to you? (laughs) She's like, no, Leanne, you need to treat them. Like, how will you ever get better? How will you Mm -hmm. ever grow if you just keep referring patients on? Mm -hmm. She was very much like, don't you dare. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a valid point of you have to develop your skill set. But also, I know folks that, you know what, you are a expert in voice. You have a skill set and you can better support this person compared to what I can do. So there's, you know, like it, it depends on the situation. Um, it does. Yeah, it's not a blanket statement. Like there are some really niche areas that SLPs have solely specialized in. Right. Like for sure. But um, like if you're just intimidated by the presentation of a patient, but like it's still within aphasia, mm-hmm. it's just very complex and multi-layered. Mm-hmm. That's something we still have to step up to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then what about your frustrations within the field? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes. So I believe that they should be known from the outset. And so they should be delivered in a very balanced manner. So it's not like you're saying, oh, yeah, people just get burnt out in this field all the time. Like your time will come. You'll get burnt out. You'll probably want to quit, too. Like, no. How is that helpful? Mm -hmm. It's not. Just saying, it's easy for people to become burnt out in this field. You should start considering now some ways of addressing that. Like you've probably become burnt out in grad school alone, right? Mm -hmm. What are some techniques you've used there? You can apply that if you ever experience burnout in your career. It's It's not a career ender. It doesn't have to be, but it's a common complaint in this field. Yeah. I think a way I might try to approach it is by saying these are some of the 
challenges that I experience. And I think that if I were new coming into this, I would try to set myself up for success by, you Mm -hmm. know, doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I think graduate students and new clinicians need to know what the frustrations are in the field. I feel like it will prepare them and they'll, they'll have a fighting chance. Uh You know, I don't think we need to present them as like, well, this is just how it is. Like that bothers me. Yeah. I don't like that. I can agree with that. Mm. And then how about when you make mistakes, you know? Oh yeah. I'm very transparent because I think those are the best opportunities to learn. Oh man, this is a good one. This was actually at a PRN job and it wasn't my student. It was the other SLP student. Mm. But what happened was, okay, so I was working on an inpatient rehab unit and I like left the room. And before the next provider came in, the patient was found on the floor. Uh-oh. Yeah. So they, they had fallen somehow. Like they were in the chair when I left. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back in, they were on the floor. This is a big problem. Like this is, this is a big deal in the medical setting. So in that SLP's office with that student present, there was this phone call and like about this upcoming meeting. And they were like kind of not grilling me, but, you know, asking all these questions. And so the student's eyes was just like really big, you know, this is is so scary and everything. And I mean, I felt bad, but I also knew that like, I did not, I did not do anything wrong. I could have done some things better, but I, we think what happened was the patient just slipped out of their chair. Mm -hmm like just like leaned on down. Um, they were in their wheelchair, the, the wheels were locked. Like, and, and you know, I didn't like mobilize the patient or move them or anything. It was this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But like, I was not happy that it happened. Clearly nobody is, but I was grateful that the student could see that it's not a game ender, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like that you just, you, you participate in the inquisition and you learn from it and you grow yeah. and you just keep moving right along. So like, I try, I just see them as learning opportunities for me and anybody else who's witness to them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think about my most recent one was I had a patient insurance deny further uh, treatment. And so in their Mm -hmm. explanation letter, one of the comments that they had was that it wasn't very clear from the notes the expectations for um, progress. And um, I hadn't been very clear about like the progress that they've made. There was a couple of notes. And so I just kind of used it as a talk aloud moment and said, okay, so this is what I'm going to do different moving forward. I'm going to be much more clear. I'm going to make a note that I can refer to when I'm completing my um, progress notes, when I'm completing like updated plan of care and things like that to be much more uh, clear in these areas that they've commented on. So this is how I'm going to grow from this experience because inevitably Mm -hmm. we're going to make those mistakes. Yeah. And that idea of like, yeah, it's, you know, be, be serious about like recognizing when you did something incorrectly or, uh, but it's not the end of the world, you know, it's going to happen. And then this Mm -hmm. is just how we pivot from that. That's right. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you toe the line of letting your your students fail in order for them to learn or stepping in to teach? So what, what I've come to learn over the experience of having students is that they know, they know without me needing to say, do, or indicate anything that they're not on the right track, like in, you know, working directly with a patient. 
if, it, if the treatment's starting to like go off the rails or something. But I believe that they need the space and the opportunity to write that ship unless they, I mean, and, and also they need to be empowered to like look over at me and be like, I'm ready to tag team you in Leanne, you know? Uh-huh. And if they don't, then that tells me that they're taking ownership of that and they're working on writing that ship. Mm-hmm. So it also comes down to how big of a problem they're making. Yeah, good point. So, <laughs> yes. Like I've heard stories um, about a student stepping so far out of line with a patient that security was called on the student. Oh, wow. Yeah. So clearly you don't want it to get to that kind of a level, but if it's just (laughs) where they're struggling and their little arms are flapping in the water, but their feet are still touching the bottom, Mm -hmm. then they're fine. That's that learning opportunity. And I always feel like sometimes the lasting lessons we learn are when we learn them uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. So the externship experience isn't meant to be an easy, fluffy ride. I don't, I hope no one goes into it thinking that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I also just think back to when I was a student, like I was just so ready to have some more autonomy. I needed to practice this. Mm-hmm. I needed that space. In having students, I think I have stepped in a little too quickly. And I have straight up gotten some side eye from students. <laughs> That's got some good self-advocating on their part then. <laughs> yeah, they, they did not want me to interfere yet. And so I was like, noted. Yeah, it can be easy to jump in because it just, that's what we're used to doing. We're used to jumping in and helping and doing that thing. And um, I'm kind of like with our patients where we need to give them that time to process, to figure things out. There is value in recognizing when something, either something goes wrong and you're like, okay, that didn't work. And then identify what the issue was. Or like, maybe that's one I never do again. You know, maybe like in this particular situation, that was not the right thing. And now I know why. Yeah. Those cover most of the questions that I have. I was wondering if there's any other like little gems that you have to offer. Supervising gems. Mm Mm-hmm. That one's tough. You know, I can only speak about my experience and I've only worked with students in the outpatient setting. And so this is going to look very different in different settings, like very different. Some have very like outlined protocols that they work off of, you know, everything's very set. And then sometimes it's very loosey goosey, like even more so than what I do. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing that I have found working with students is that you have to build that that communication, those open lines, and establish the expectations like from day one. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I think I even go into like before they even start, like I'm outlining those expectations in that first meeting. Like here's our dress code, here is our working times, here's when I expect you to be here. Like explicitly state the things that are important. Because you won't get a chance to later on down the road. You can't like dial something back if a behavior has already developed. Mm -hmm. That's that's much harder. I think it was in a different conversation, but you had brought up the comment of establishing expectations, both of what you're expecting of the student, but also what they expect of you Mm -hmm. and what they need from you. And you did kind of touch on this in today's talk but knowing what their uh, learning styles are and what they're hoping to accomplish, mm-hmm. I think are important parts. Yeah, I really do like to know like what their biggest interests are so that if we get patients or referrals coming in like that, then I want to tee that up and, and have it ready for them. Yeah, yeah. 
additionally, you know, because my hospital would do modifieds and there were lots of other SLPs there, like I would float it to the SLP team. Like if you have a video swallow study coming up, like text me, let me know and I'll send my student. Yeah. And so they did. So my students would get like experience seeing other things, not regular on our caseload mm-hmm. because of that communication. And so if the student was like, yeah, that doesn't matter to me. Like, I'm not going to do that work. Yeah. But generally they like it, they care, they want it. And so like, I put those things in motion so that they can get as much experience in all these different areas as they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm lucky in that I'm associated with the hospital. So we're an outpatient satellite clinic, but I do some PRN sometimes over at the hospital and have great rapport with the SLPs there. So we'll switch students. I've taken, like had some of their students observe me and then we're going to do a swap. So they'll get to see the inpatient setting, the student, um, she'll get to see a modified, um, I've got great rapport with one of our ENT surgeons. So she's going to get to observe like potentially a total laryngectomy surgery. So, uh, you know, hours come first, but given as long as those needs are being met, getting to be creative and giving some opportunities to see different areas and, you know, the different PTOT and just different modalities, uh, disciplines Mm -hmm. that we work with is such an awesome opportunity. Yeah. That's really good stuff. Well done, Melissa. Hey, thanks. I learned from somebody pretty good. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Well, thank you so much for answering my questions. And so I say this is the end of today's Speech Uncensored podcast. Thank you so much to my guest, Leanne. (laughs) It was a pleasure, Melissa. (laughs) You're a delight. I loved it. Likewise. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Speech Uncensored podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes on speechuncensored.com and post a thoughtful review on Apple Podcasts so that other SLPs can find the podcast and join us on this journey. I want to give a big thanks to my audio editor, Laura Miller, for her awesome editing skills. And I'm so glad that you've decided to spend some of your time with us today. I hope the material that we've covered today has nourished your mind so that your practice can flourish. Now go out there and be awesome.